Hey there, boys and girls. You have discovered a special episode of Words for Dinner, the podcast for the people. This is what we're calling a snack, so it's going to be a little bit shorter than what you're used to, and uh, it's going to be a little bit uh, different in subject matter, too. I'm just going to talk about um, a couple items that are of interest, and uh, hopefully to you as well. And uh, other than that, it's not going to really contain our normal depthy discussion of a single word. But uh, it is going to be very exciting, and if you have anything you'd like to share with us about that or about our snacks or about our longer episodes, please do that. Uh, you can email us at wfdpodcast. That's wfdpodcast at gmail.com. Enjoy. Welcome to Words for Dinner podcast that eats all the red M&Ms out of your basket of candy. Uh, I'm Max, and uh, my co-host, Mike, is uh, actually indisposed at the moment. He's got his nose buried in the Oxford English Dictionary, flipping through the pages. He's probably got a dry cigar clenched between his teeth, and uh, he's muttering to himself or something like that. So in the meantime, he's a little preoccupied, so I will uh, I'll take this opportunity to... Uh, record this little snack for you guys. Uh, We're calling it a snack. It's really just a shorter, uh, more pointed uh, episode of Words for Dinner. So in this one, this is uh, is the first one I'm doing solo, so uh, bear with me, guys. Uh, You know, I think uh, I just had a couple things that are (laughs) not really related, but uh, I do want to share them with you. The first is a a blog post from dictionary.com. And uh, the second one is a, a book I read recently called called Kindred by uh, Octavia Butler. And so the first is just something I wanted to draw your attention to because um, it is like just such an interesting, cool uh, blog post from from that website. And you can read it in probably about five minutes. I mean, it took me, you know, two seconds to read. So uh, and the and the book I just wanted to talk about because you know Michael and I we we uh, we really value literature. We're writers ourselves and. English teachers, past, present, and future. So we, we, uh, you know, it's just in our wheelhouse, and we hope it's in yours too. So uh, I hope you'll uh, you'll uh, be interested in in hearing just a little bit about this of uh, this very, um, I would say, pretty unique book of fantasy. Um, there's a debate about whether it's fantasy or science fiction, and uh, I'm not going to answer that question for you, but I do think uh, it's worth talking about a little bit. Um, classic book. So anyway. First off, why don't I why don't I talk about this uh, this blog post? So if you guys want to follow along with me, I'll put it in our show notes later. But dictionary.com, um, it's called "Why Do We Say Trick or Treat?" Isn't that topical, right? You're thinking, "Oh man, so cute." I know. So uh, is the the time of year right now? Obviously, is uh, it's just a couple days before. Uh, before Halloween, so I figure this is this is a relevant, timely uh, moment to talk a little bit about this, and of course they did too. They, those uh, good folks at Dictionary.com. So um, what what I really liked about this is it sort of uh, has a little bit of history involved in it, and that's cool. So uh, yeah, if you want to follow along, check this out. It's called uh, "Why Do We Say Trick or Treat," and uh, basically, you know, big surprise. Uh, it's weird. The history of it is weird. Um, and it doesn't necessarily seem, uh, sometimes when you, when you hear about things like I'm thinking of, 
I'm thinking of Christmas too, right? Um, and we could probably think of other major holidays that are celebrated here in the good old U.S. of A. Um, and of course, there's cultural differences abroad. Uh, I'll take this opportunity before I start to uh, to invite you uh, you listeners from overseas or from anywhere else in the world besides the this uh, besides the uh, America uh, to uh, email us, you know, or or share on Twitter. Um, Words for dinner is our Twitter handle number four. Uh, tweet at us and uh, share, you know, what your Halloween customs are. Uh, we, or if you have Halloween, I mean, it's, of course, you know, it's very possible you don't, or your version is different from ours. So, when I hear here in the United States, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty commercialized. It's pretty much a, a standard element of our uh, national conversation. Uh, but anyway, so you go, you know, your, your kids go around, knock on doors, collect candy. Uh, they say trick or treat, and they they have for for not quite as long as you would have guessed. I would have thought that the trick or th- treat custom was a thing that was going on for hundreds of years, right? Turns out, not so much. Um, so they say here on Dictionary.com that the practice of donning a costume and asking for treats from your neighbors actually dates back to the Middle Ages. So I was like, of course, yeah, sure. But back then it wasn't a game, and this is where it gets interesting. So. The medieval practice of what is called souling, which is really interesting, S-O-U-L-I-N-G, souling, as in like the gerund, is it a gerund? Did I get that right? Of soul. Poor people would make the rounds begging for food. So already we have some weird class-based uh, overtones to this practice. In return, uh, your neighbors, uh, they would, uh, so if you if you gave them, uh, if, if you're, you're, uh, you're, your neighbor came begging for food and you gave them food uh you you would have to uh, pray for the dead for them i guess it was as it was sort of a weird sort of spiritual exchange uh and you'd pray for the dead on all souls day which is not on uh, october 31st apparently that is a traditional uh, holiday of a certain kind of religious holiday that used to happen on november 2nd so if you look this up in the dictionary uh, like i did it'll say all souls day which is three words right uh, it's it's a noun, and it refers to a day of solemn prayer for all dead persons observed by Roman Catholics and certain Anglicans, usually on November second. So, if that's still being observed around the world, I'm sure it is. You know, again, write us, tell us about it. I don't have any experience with that here, uh, where I grew up in the in the in the New York region, and I'm sure uh, my co-host will, will will echo that sentiment. So, um, curious about it? Yeah, really. All Souls Day. I've heard about it. I've heard about it. Anyway, so the modern trick-or-treating thing is a custom borrowed from uh, what what this blog post calls guising, G-U-I-S-I-N-G, as in, you know, disguise or, or you know, I have on a guise. Uh, guising, which children still do in parts of Scotland. So guising involves dressing in a costume, singing a rhyme, doing a card trick, or telling a story in exchange for a sweet it's such an antiquated way to describe, like, you know, a piece of candy, right? A sweet. That's a weird, weird thing. The Scottish and Irish brought the custom to America in the 19th century. So, the 19th century, that's not that long ago, guys. That's only the 1800s. So, I would have thought, man, it went way back further than that. Um, so, the All Souls Day thing does indeed come from medieval times, but the trick-or-treating thing itself, much more recent. There's just a little bit more from this blog post, which I found uh, germane to the conversation. They say, some have traced the earliest print reference of the term trick-or-treat 
1927 in Alberta, Canada. <laughs> now, oh man, not that long ago. 1927 is just, and it's from Alberta, which is also just not what I would have expected. Uh, we got to give our Canadian neighbors some props on this one. So it appears the practice didn't really take off in the U.S. until the mid-1930s, where it wasn't always well-received. <laughs> the demanding of a treat, this is really funny, angered or puzzled some adults. <laughs> Still does, folks. Supposedly in a Halloween parade in 1948 in New York, the Madison Square Boys Club carried a banner sporting the message, quote, American boys don't beg. Wow. <laughs> Getting kind of, uh, wow, somebody thinks their poop doesn't stink there, huh? But by 1952, the practice was widely accepted, enough to be mentioned in popular media, like in the family television show, Ozzy and Harriet. So that's what uh, that's that for the blog article that I stumbled on here, which I thought was nice enough to share with y'all. Um, wow, 1927, guys, huh? So... Um, you know, when you go out with your with your kids or with your nieces or nephews or you just decide you want to just as an adult, you just want to take part and put on a Qui-Gon Jinn costume and, you know, freak out your neighbors and ask them for food. You know, whatever your your uh, your role is in this weird little holiday that we have, share it with your partners and your friends who are doing it with you. You know, be like, hey, guys, um, you wouldn't even believe who actually invented this phrase. It turns out it's Canada. <laughs> and you know what? Um, not that surprising after all. Canada originated a lot of cool stuff. Maybe we'll do another episode on poutine sometime. But uh, man, that is good stuff. Anyway, so um, that's that for uh, for that uh, special little blog post I wanted to, uh, to share with you guys. And uh, I'll move on now to the second part of this snack episode of Words for Dinner. Uh, I just want to talk real briefly about this novel that I just finished. Um, I know Michael also uh, is a big fan of this author. I don't know if he's read Kindred yet. Uh, I hope he has, and if not, I'm sure I will have a spirited conversation with him uh, when he uh, uh, emerges from the, the stacks of the library. So Kindred uh, is a novel by Octavia Butler. It came out in 1979. Uh, that's the first edition. And it's been reprinted since because it's sort of, you know, kind of a classic now. And it was originally, and I think by a lot of people, considered to be science fiction, mainly because Octavia Butler uh, has quite a few of those types of uh, books out. She's written a number of books and over the years, and she wrote a lot of science fiction. But um, uh, she actually, in an interview, described this book, Kindred, as fantasy. And I agree with her completely. She uh, Her justification for it is really funny. She says... Uh, there's no science in the book, <laughs> which, uh, you know, I think I see what she means there. Um, it's, it's remarkably absent of any description of, or explanation rather of the central conceit of the book, which is time travel. So basically the, the plot summary in a, in a word is, uh, is a young African-American lady named Dana. I think I guess she's pretty young. And her white husband, Kevin, um, are, are suddenly swept up in this bizarre sort of, I don't know how to describe it. Um, it's just time travel that seems to happen randomly. And it seems to happen mainly to her. He does go back in time. Um, I th think tw once with her. 
and in fact, Kevin gets stuck in uh, in the past, in uh, uh, the days of of, uh, of American slavery, and, and Kevin gets stuck back there for several years of his life. But I think he only has one voyage back there, whereas she keeps getting um, transported um, without warning into uh, what what uh, what turns out to be her ancestor's slave plantation in Maryland. And uh, the, the ancestor's name is Rufus Whalen. And uh, Rufus's father, when she first, uh, when Dana is first transported, his name is Tom Whalen, is in charge. He's the sort of the slave master or whatever. And um, there's, there's all these people living on the plantation who are um, described in just very, like, um, rich detail. And uh, the ca- characterization is really well do- done in this book, especially given... Uh, the complicated, um, you know, personality stuff and interactions that are going on uh, among the, the the people living on the plantation and the power dynamics, of course, um, really fraught. Obviously, in many ways, she witnesses some horrific violence, of course, as you would expect. Um, and the character Dana um, becomes over time because she's transported back to this time period many times throughout the book desensitized to some extent to horrible extreme murderous just terrible violence the kind of violence that you know hopefully um you and i and and everyone um that you know is not familiar with and not able to conceive of in the way that um uh people from the past were from this time period and i think that's you know if i may say so my theory is that i think that butler was that was one of her goals for this novel was to sort of use the power of narrative to expose your contemporary american to their history and their past in a way that um makes them confronted um yeah, in a way that you you're not you're just not going to get from going to school and reading history books. So, and, and I think it does accomplish that that mission to some extent. I think it really does, which is a quite a quite an accomplishment. And it's quite an achievement. Uh, so, without um, going too much more into the plot, which of course is complicated, um, she's basically called back to the past to protect her ancestor Rufus, and so she's the the chapter. The names of the chapters are sort of named after the incidents where he almost dies which caused dana to be pulled back to his time period to protect him so there's like an instance where uh, rufus is almost drowns and dana's pulled back and she pulls him out of the river that chapter is called the river obviously right and there's another one called the fire there's one called the fall and there's one called the fight and then i think the last chapter is called this oh there's two more the, the storm and the rope um so Highly recommend it. Great book. Hard book. Um, not not hard in the sense of technically hard to read. It's actually the the prose is really really moves along at a nice clip, but uh, difficult in terms of the subject matter. And I think that's that's no reason to avoid it. And in fact, it's a it's a reason to seek it out. So read Kindred. Uh, great book. And in fact, if you really want to uh, learn more about it and get some really cool sort of contextual information from the author's own mouth. Um, Octavia Butler did an interview with, I believe it's Callaloo, a uh, literary journal, uh, it, back in 1990. It was published in spring of 1991. Uh, it's called An Interview with Octavia Butler. Uh, the author of that interview or the interviewer, his name is Randall Keenan, K-E-N-A-N. 
And again, this is a literary journal called Callaloo, C-A-L-L-A-L-O-O, volume 14, number two. Uh, published by Johns Hopkins University Press. And so there's a long interview with Octavia Butler by Randall Keenan, and uh, they address a lot of these questions, some of which I've, I've referred to already. Um, the fact that Butler doesn't <laughs> think there's any science in Kindred, which means it can't be science fiction. Um, yeah, and there's one other thing from that narrative, which I, from, sorry, from that interview, which I'll, which I'll highlight for you right now. Um, and it has to do with the subject matter being so difficult. Um, so, Keenan asks Butler about the research that she did for writing this book. Um, and she did, you know, she read a lot of slave narratives, which is a genre. The slave narrative is a genre uh, of literature. And it's, it's what it sounds like. It's memoir um, written by people who are actual slaves. And uh, so it's, as you can imagine, pretty difficult reading. Um, and she, she acknowledges that, Butler acknowledges that in, in talking about the research that she was doing. And man, she just, I think she's, the topic was, she was just talking about how horrible it was to read some of these things. And she says that she realizes while she was doing her research that, um, quote, she was not going to be able to come anywhere near presenting slavery as it was. She says, I was going to have to do a somewhat cleaned up version of slavery or no one would be willing to read it. I think that's what most fiction writers do. They almost have to, Butler says. So, Wow, um, pretty poignant thing um, to to come to terms with while you're writing, and I'm sure, um, and I, I sort of understand what she means, and, and uh, you will too if you read the book. So read Kindred, it's great. Um, thank you for listening to this uh, lovely little um, tidbit, this morsel, which is uh, our pleasure to share with you, and I hope that it, it uh, connects you with words for dinner in a more intimate way. So I'll be back next time with my uh, gregarious, uh, exuberant, and um, lovely co-host, really, in a lot of ways, my good buddy, Michael. And uh, we'll be back to uh, discuss uh, the next word with you in a great deal of detail, perhaps more than you're willing to face. (laughs) But hey, we're going to do it anyway. So we hope you'll listen and uh, have a great one. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.